Hello, and welcome to the Double Take Podcast with your hosts, Kirk and Kevin Weber. This is the show for fans of sports, music, and popular culture. In this episode of Double Take, we discuss The Mandalorian and the launch of Disney+, the most overrated Detroit Tigers of all time, Apple Baseball Life, and Marvin Miller Books. Join us now on Double Take. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Double Take. I'm Kevin Weber, here with my brother Kirk, and we're excited to bring an interesting show to you once again. Um, lots of interesting things happening this week, one of them being that uh, uh, Disney Plus came out on Tuesday, and um, what were your initial takes on that, Kirk? You know, it was an, it was a ominous start. I know people like to complain about things because they had a lot of technical issues with people getting logged in. I experienced a little bit of that too, but got around it. But I can say that I can see that it's going to be as good as I thought it would be. Um, I think there's a lot of people that with these new programs, they would like to have multiple episodes. That's probably the only thing. But um, but they have a lot of content and there's a lot of variety and I it's it's huge you know 10 million new people signing up on on the first day is a massive start for anyone so I think the big things happening and I was excited to watch the Mandalorian I thought that was um, it delivered it's you know pilot episode I you know you and I talked about not spoiling it for anybody because not everybody is in on Disney Plus my version of Disney Plus was. Um, my, I got it through Verizon because I have un- unlimited data, so I have it for a year. So I would just jumped right in. I know you paid for two years, um, yes, yeah. and you know, different people do different things and it depends. I use a fire device. I think you've been using that, um, too, yep. but you know, there's lots of options for that. Um, and things were working fine for me. I mean, they broadcast everything in a high quality. Um, and as far as the Mandalorian, what was cool to me, my impression at the beginning was, this is like watching like a, a current sort of movie, only it's a live action Star Wars TV show, which yes, is what uh, everybody's yeah, yeah. wanted. I mean, that's what yes. people want. So, um, you know, I mean, will it be w- w- well written and all that sort of stuff? It seems like they're off to a good start. I mean, I, I'm familiar with Mandalorian, you know, kind of background, but not super familiar. I'm not like a super Star Wars nerd, but I'm pretty familiar with things. Um, but I'm I'm willing to learn, and I'm curious to see how that goes. What was your thought? Well, I do agree that it, it felt like a Star Wars movie because all of the other shows that they've ever had, um, other than I think that the ill-fated Christmas special that no everybody doesn't want to talk about, um, but mm-hmm. all the other ones have been like um, animated in some way or computer-generated in some way, um, and they're fine. I've watched um, most all of those. Um, so yeah, a live action show was was something special, and it did f- have that feel of a movie. It it did have like a little twist at the end, which people have to watch and, and see what they think about it. Um, they're already talking about how there might be some ties to the upcoming movie, um, and we'll see if that happens as well. Right. Um, I didn't have any trouble with my Disney Plus when I got home. I mean, you had a snow day. Um, I did not. I, mean, it, right. I tried to log on at, at work um, and it was having some trouble. But it wasn't like I was going to watch something. So when I got home, it was working fine. Yeah. So. Here in Michigan, by the mid 
by the late afternoon, early evening, they had things worked out. It was all the people that were jumping in in the morning and noon time ish. Um, the, those are the people that ran into that. Well, those are the people also had a lot of time on their hands. So, you know, quit complaining, whatever. You know, like yes. I was like, you know, get over it. It's not like there's yeah. anything here that is life, you know, or death, right? Unless I mean, you it's... only have the seven day trial. And then, okay, right. well, you, you got seven days. And it's like, I, I, was, I saw on Twitter that they're having trouble. And somebody's like, well, I'm really glad I took the day off for this. It's like, well, yeah. just shut up. Okay? Why, why are you even <laughs> taking the day off? I mean, you know, I yeah. happen to have it off. I was excited to see. But, you know, it's just like with anything. There's always a few snafus, but they're working through it. Um, I do believe with the Mandalorian, with John Favreau being like the writer and director of it, and he's you know huge in the, all the Marvel stuff, um, and, and involved with this Disney um, material, all sorts of things. But now Star Wars, he has a, a you know I think he's going to do a good job. He's you know most of this first season for this show, um, he's involved heavily with. So I think that means that it'll it'll deliver. It'll kind of be what people want. So I enjoyed it. I mean, I thought it was fun, and I I'm I, I am excited because you can't go binge it, even though it's like what is it going to be like ten episodes? I think uh, I for a season. Know. I think it's ten from what I see, but uh, it comes out on Fridays or drops on Fridays. So that means tomorrow, um, since we're talking on Thursday right now, there'll be a second episode, um, and that'll be good. Um, yes. at least we'll get two in, in one week and then we're going to do a one week, you know, every Friday sort of thing, but Hey, that's fine. Whatever. Yes. You know, you know, one of the things that I think will be interesting to see if they do with the Mandalorians and I think, isn't Favreau going to do the new trilogy or is that somebody else? I thought he was behind some of the, the, the brand new trilogy of just completely made up new characters and stuff that's supposed to be coming at some point. Oh, I don't know um, if he is. That's I thought, good. I thought that he was part of that but maybe i'm mistaken but anyway you know one of the interesting things about marvel is you know how they created their marvel cinematic universe and tied all those movies together over the course of many years and um if you get some of those marvel guys to kind of cross over into star wars and they do that that makes it very interesting when you have you know things that are interconnected like that mm -hmm. so we'll, well see how they do what people really like about the Star Wars universe is all the different elements to it. Well, you're taking a guy like Favreau, and he has experienced that with all the Avengers stuff um, so in, on, on, a, on a screen, whether it's a big screen or, in this case, kind of a you know, smaller screen. But um, I think that we have some experience there to do that. Hopefully it works out. I know people want to sometimes get negative about things, but I'm just going to stay positive about it and try to enjoy it and see where it goes so yes yeah yes uh, have, have you checked out anything else on it other than the mandalorians or um yeah. i um i have i mean i watched some movies i've seen before on there uh i we were also you know watching a few since it was snow day and my whole family was off we hadn't wa uh, watched any of the new jack ryan yet so we started doing some of that afterward yeah. um but um my daughter is going back and Watching Good Luck Charlie because she used to like that show and it's all on there and there's all sorts of things. There's there. so much stuff on there. I, I watched the first episode of The World According to Jeff Goldblum and it, it was good. You know, it okay. was um, interesting. You know, half hour show, so pretty easy there. Haven't really watched some of the other newer content yet. Maybe this weekend if I have time. Um, I've been kind of checking out some of the um, the old animated Star Wars stuff that I haven't seen, which are, are are kind of fun. But one of the things that you know, as far as the Mandalorian. Um, 
and some of the you know the, the Star Wars Rebels had a bunch of stuff with Mandalorian culture yes. in it, and, and mm-hmm. that you know those might be worth checking out again. For right? People yeah. That want to brush up on it? Yeah. Well, and I, so. you know, I always say my son or whatever and stuff like that. Well, I have three kids, and so my older son Riley um, is big in the Star Wars, and he's like, we need to go back and look at Rebels, and also they have all the stuff on there. Uh, for the other animated series, and they're supposed to um, kind of reboot some stuff. Um, yeah, well, the so, Clone Wars is supposed to have a final season. I, I love the Clone Wars, right? So that might be worth rewatching too. In, in his so. opinion, that was you know the best thing that you know as far as all the intricacies that were there. So um, you know there is time. They haven't started the Clone War uh, new stuff yet. I think that's not for a year, maybe. Um, yeah. So there's time to if you're a subscriber. Make sure you're all ready for it, you know. So that's fine, you know. Um, so yeah, I think it's a good start. Um, and I'm looking forward to. I'll dive into some other stuff maybe this weekend, but you know how it is, you know. You uh, can only do so much. I wanted to make sure I saw Ma- the Mandalorian, and yes. I did. So that was good. And um, and there were some good parts to it. There was some. They had a couple uh, clever little things that big Star Wars fans would enjoy. Uh, but again, I don't really want to, after a few weeks, we can talk about a few of those things. Um, but I don't want to be a spoiler person because I know not everybody's seen it. Some of the newer Star Wars movies has, uh, they have, um, uh, interesting kind of Star Wars humor and they had some of that, um, in, in that first episode. So that was enjoyable. Um, some good action sequences, good, you know, fight sequences that are, you know, Star Wars is known for. So they did a good job with that as well. So. Yeah, and it looked great. And I, I like using my 4K Fire Stick, and it looks awesome. Right. That's, <laughs> so I'll tell you that right now. That's so. a big thing, too. Everybody's got these great TVs now, but sometimes they can't capitalize on them, and Disney Plus is letting you do that. So that's another nice thing. Too. Yeah, everything that's recorded in 4K is free is as part of the deal if it's in 4K. Right. Yep. Yeah, you don't have to do extra or anything like that. So um, good stuff there. How about we'll take a break? And then come back, we have, um, we want to jump into kind of a special on the spot and um, have a little talk on that. So it's kind of uh, generated from listeners, basically a listener. Yes. So yes. that's great. We're willing to kind of partake. So um, we'll, we'll be right back after this. So we're ready for a special on the spot in which both Kirk and I are put on the spot. Uh, this time by Tom Nelshoppen. And a lot of you APA fans out there will know Tom as the editor and, you know, the guy that runs the APA blog, the website. And um, also it's, you know, on Facebook and Twitter and other social media as well. So Tom um, is a subscriber to our podcast, which is very nice. And he um, sent us a message. (laughs) Yes. And he said, hey, DT guys, I just subscribed to your podcast and I'm enjoying it so far. As a baseball fan and an Apple player, it hits the right buttons for me. So hopefully that will for others, right? He said, it's obviously it's obvious that you both are homers for the Detroit Tigers. Well, we are, even though they suck. But, we, you know, we are. They <laughs> so, are our team, yes. <laughs> yes. Whether they suck or not, they're still our team. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. And he says, and that's okay. I have a challenge for you both. Name the most overrated Detroit Tiger in baseball history. I'd love to hear your opinion. Keep up the good work, 
pound. So we've been thinking about this and uh, we came up with a few possibilities because there definitely are some overrated tigers. Um, we kind of have an idea what we think Tom is maybe going for. He can let us know that at some other time if he wants. Who, who do we think he's probably hinting at? Kirk. Oh, uh, well, I mean, we, we came up with a list. Did, did you did you have it written down? I know you and I were kind of yes. texting back and forth. Yes, what, I do. Say your list, and then we can kind of go from there. How about we do it like that? Okay. Well, um, the guys, well, the first person that came to mind, and we kind of agreed on this, was Willie Horton. Mm-hmm. Then we talked about um, Jim Bunny. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we talked about George Kell. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we talked about Cecil Fielder. Now, I think Tom is maybe referring to Jack Morris. So those are our possibilities as far as most overrated Tiger in history. Um, though, you know, it's not like they're the Yankees, so they don't get as overrated as some of them do at times. Right, you know? yeah. I know people will hate this, but Derek Jeter is overrated. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, yeah. D- just, to, <laughs> so. just to bash on a Yankee for a minute. I mean, yeah, great player, but very overrated. All right. Yes. People act um, like he was the greatest shortstop ever. He, you know, he's, he's, he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but, you know, he wasn't as good as everybody thought he was. Right. <laughs> so. um, he played in New York, and that's why you think that. So, yeah. but let's talk about the Tigers. It's, if it's Jack Morris, look, I, I, I'm really happy Jack's in the Hall of Fame. Yes. But I think we both agree that he probably shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, um, I mean, he's right on the border, but he's you know, right on probably the edge. is short. He's probably short of it. Yeah. You know, um, where when you get a guy like Jack in there, you start to say things. You look at postseason stuff, like his World Series success and and things like that, um, and that you know helped him. All right, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you know, we're not. You can call us homers, or we're fans of the Tigers, but I don't think we're delusional. Um, on the other hand, it's not like the Tigers are overrepresented in the Baseball Hall of Fame or something like that. Um, if, if you get back to some of these other players that are Tigers that are in the Hall that might be overrated, no, maybe he's not talking about Hall of Famers. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jim Bunning, if you look at Jim Bunning's career early on with the Tigers, he was excellent. He, you know, he's winning 20, 19, 20, 21 games and having good ERAs and stuff. It's really when he went to Philadelphia that he became just kind of pretty good. Um, and then his lifetime stats really weren't all that impressive. Um, so I don't, I, I'm wondering sometimes if Jim Bunning got in also because of his political career. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, when you stack up Jim Bunning compared to other hall of fame pitchers, I don't think he should be in the hall, yeah, I mean, but 224 wins in 17 years. I mean, it, it, when you were able to finish more games, I mean, he did have, you know, 519, um, game started and 151 complete games so you know he had control over wins okay um you know he he struck out a lot of guys um, yes he was yes, right he up did. there on top of the strikeout list that definitely was his claim to fame how many times he won 20 games um uh once okay. and it was with the tigers yeah and he was yes. younger so i think yeah. he may have developed a reputation and then you know kind of kind of leveled off that sort of yes. thing so I could see that. Um, but he, you know, I don't even know if he was borderline. I'm not really sure why he's in the hall, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, he was a, a very good pitcher, you know, multi-time all-star, you know, led the league in strikeouts three times, you know, pitched mm-hmm. a lot of innings. He's pretty durable. But, man, I don't know. I mean, there was better pitchers during that era. Was Jim, he never won a Cy Young, you know? I mean, right. I don't know. So, 
Yeah, so he he's he was overrated. Uh, now he only pits about half his career with the Tigers, so you know, I guess he kind of counts, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, now you mentioned Willie Horton, and Willie Horton, you know, it, it has his number retired, number twenty three, for the Tigers. He has a statue. Um, I think the reason why Willie Horton is so revered in Detroit is he he was a very good hitter, okay, and he's mm-hmm. never going to be a Hall of Famer. So I don't really know if Willie Horton, you know, could, should be called overrated. Um, he was um, one of the first significant African-American stars for the Tigers. He's from the area uh, during the 67 riots. He had a large presence there. He's been a big part of the uh, executive aspect of the Tigers um, and is genuinely a great dude. Um, you know, he had a long history. He kind of grew up playing baseball with Bill Freehan and people like that. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if he's overrated to anybody else but you know he's he's definitely he's, deserves some respect he definitely deserves respect and he was a, a very good baseball player four-time all-star um had a great year in 68 for that team i mean he was mm-hmm. really the star hitter him he hit 285 in 1968 with 36 home runs yeah I mean, that was, that was great i mean yes. it, very impressive that's like hitting 330 you know right um that year um but in detroit and i think that the the average Tiger fan that doesn't really look at numbers and stuff, he's probably a little overrated. He's got a statue out there. I mean, really, he's the only person out there that's not a Hall of Famer that has a statue. He's the only Hall of Famer that, or the only non-Hall of Famer that has his number retired. Now, I'm not mm-hmm. saying he doesn't deserve those things, but he kind of gets blown out of proportion as far as um, how great a Tiger he was. I mean, you know. Right. You know, it's like, then I guess we should put a Rocky Calavito statue out there, too, or something, you know, because he led the Tigers in, in home runs a few right, years. Right, or, in the or home Cecil runs. Fielder statue. Yes, exactly. Who's also on our list, Cecil Fielder, right? Right. Yeah, uh, Cecil, I mean, I, and again, I mean, he had a couple great, exciting seasons while wearing a Tiger uniform. He had about three three or four in a row where he was really good when they, you know, yep. they got him in, in 1990 and he was still like 26, hit the 51 home runs, was the first guy to do that since Foster. And I, I that was a, a fun season, you know, mm-hmm. that tag was just okay. So that was a lot of fun. Um, drove in a bunch of runs, he, you know, next year he led the league in home runs again, hit 44. So, you know, he backed it up, played in 162 games. Then he hit 35 home runs next year, 30 home runs next year. You know, and, you know, he was all right. He was usually good for about 30 home runs and hit about 250. And the Tigers, in one of the rare times where they did the right thing, they kind of got rid of him at the right time when he uh-huh. got shipped off to the Yankees. And um, he didn't really do anything for them. And then he bounced around a little bit and went to Anaheim, went to Cleveland, and then he was done. But, you know, I think that, um, you know, when you look – Home run hitters always get a bit overrated, you know, the guys that hit the long ball. So, you know, he, he was a big star of the face of the Tigers for a few years there and maybe a bit overrated at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, a guy that we grew up with, George Kell, and he was a longtime Tiger broadcaster and a guy that Wonderful we broadcaster. To, right. Yep. You know, just very memorable. He's, he was all, he's a Hall of Famer my whole life, so, you know, I thought of him as that. And he had some good seasons, and he was like a 10-time All-Star, but I just don't know why he's in the Hall of Fame. I, I uh... He's rated as the 48th best third baseman of all time. Um, you know, career home runs for um, a guy that played um, 15 years, he had 78 career home runs. Now, yeah. you expect a third baseman to hit a few more than that. I'm not saying you got it. You know, he was a career 306 hitter. 
barely got 2,000 hits, like 2,054 hits. Um, he had a great year in 1949 when he hit 343. And another good players, one in 1950. Know you know, he hit yes. 340. I mean, so he won a batting yeah. title, um, led the league in hits a couple times. His, actually, his year in 1950 is probably more impressive because you know he had yes. 56 doubles he, it was the only year he had over 100 rbi um but you know those are those are his kind of detroit years right you know from age 23 in 1946 up to like age 29 and 52 he was you know very good and built a good reputation went through the all-star game um you know almost like basically every year from 1947 up to 1952 and then he goes to Boston, and he always would talk about being at Boston and stuff. And he kind of slides to more of a 300 hitter with no power, basically. Um, and he was a good fielder, from what I understand. Um, but just kind of, just kind of becomes an average dude. Um, yeah, yeah. He seemed to just fall a little short. I mean, when he was on the writer's ballot, he never got more than about 36, 37%, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and, and the reason he got in, he got in on the veterans ba- ballot because um, Bertie Tabbitts was on that committee and Charlie Garinger was on that committee and uh, these former Tigers were on there. So, yeah, yep. that, that's why he and, got in, you know? And he was a really likable guy, so that's why he's in. Yeah, <laughs> that's really so what it is. he is, you know, like when we were growing up, it was like, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. Anybody in the Hall of Fame, we never, you know, when you're 11, 12 years old, you don't think, well, maybe that guy doesn't deserve to be in. No, I thought he did, you know. Right. Um, you look at it a little closer and you're like, well, okay, he's definitely very fringe on there, probably falls a little short. Great player, probably not a Hall of Famer, and, mm-hmm. you know, definitely overrated. I, I would say that George Kell is probably number one uh, uh to me as far as overrated tigers you know right if you're talking about the accolades that he got mm-hmm. you know um uh, you know morris is real close there too i mean you know morris never won a cy young um and he winning his pitcher in the 80s and all that kind of stuff and a bulldog of a pitcher but mm-hmm. you know was never the best pitcher in the league ever you yeah. know mm-hmm. uh, was always usually the best pitcher on his team you know so there's right. something to be said there yep um, and you know, could be counted on it. And I bet you every team in the American league wanted him on their team. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they'd have a better chance of winning, um, their division if they had him. But, you know, I can see the arguments with Morris for sure, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm so, so glad he's there. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm happy that he's there, you know, just from you know our perspective, but I, I get, I, I see the argument. Um, who else did we have on that list? Uh, did we have anybody else that was there? Uh, th- that was the main guys we had. Was there somebody right. else you were thinking of? Um, I, I would hope that, I mean, we've talked about Whitaker hopefully being in the hall and Trammell. I don't think those guys are overrated, especially with the positions that they played. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I look at other, you know, I'm just thinking current guys. I mean, you know, um, you know, guys that are considered great players, Justin Verlander. I mean, he's not overrated. All right. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I hope people consider Miguel Cabrera um, a Tiger now. Uh, I don't think he's overrated. Um, I mean, he's yeah. getting old now and definitely on a decline, but um, should but be in the Hall a, of Fame. He's a, I think he's first ballot. And I think Verlander is now, too, since he just won the Cy Young again. Should yes. have been his third, but it was his second. So Yeah. Um, and know, he's because, talking about pitching until his mid-40s. And well, if he's staying in shape, man. I mean, you know, there, yeah. I was looking That's at That's 300 wins then. You know. I was looking at the new Bill James uh, book, and um, he has a thing, a section in there where he talks about you know career milestones and stuff. 
and he gives Verlander a 36% chance, I think it is. Don't quote me for sure, but I think it was 36% chance to get 300 wins, which nowadays just seems impossible. You know? Right. And wins mm-hmm. aren't as important as they used to be, but still, it's a great milestone. I mean, if you can do that, he might be the last guy in our lifetime to get the 300 wins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because he's kind of a throwback pitcher, you know, uh, the way he, he does stuff. So um, going deeper in the games and stuff than most pitchers do. So, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. I hope he doesn't. So, yeah. Um, so, you know, those are guys that just kind of recent guys. I mean, I know the Tigers had some players, you know, in the last 20 years that when they had some good teams going and winning championships, you know, American League championships and going the World Series. Um, I mean, you know, I, I'm not sure who people would think were super overrated or not. I mean, we had some all star sorts of players. I mean, you know, whether it was at times Ardonez or. You know, Pudge Prince Rodriguez Fielder or, or yeah. I mean, I, Ian Kinsler know. or whoever. Yeah. Right. You know, but not all those guys were lifelong, like guys I associate as Tigers. Uh, I mean, there are, are people that are revered like Kirk Gibson, but Kirk Gibson's never going to be a Hall of Famer, but he has some of the biggest moments in the history of the game, you know, with these home runs in yes. the World Series mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, and he did win an MVP. So, you yeah. know, I mean, you know, he Kirk did it. Gibson has moments. He has two or three moments that are bigger than most Hall of Famers ever have. Yes. And <laughs> he is saying? in a Hall of Fame, the College Football Hall of Fame. So, yes, um yes, and he, he has his he has his number retired at Michigan State um and he was a great All-American wide receiver there. So, he was a phenomenal athlete. Um so, you know, I mean, he things are working out fine for him. <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah. Um I just hope he stays healthy as long as he can. Um Yeah. I, so, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, who else would be that comes to mind? I'm just kind of kind of going around the horn and thinking of different guys. Um, I mean, there were some great players over our lifetime, you know. And but, it's tough now because players don't play for a team for an extended period of time. It doesn't happen like it used to when they had collusion and they were mm-hmm. stuck on a team. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you don't see that. I mean, if a guy plays 10 years for a team, that's a big deal now nowadays. Um, yeah, I mean, those are the ones that came to my mind. I guess, you know, obviously we talk about the Tigers frequently and mention them because we are Tiger fans, but, you know, we know our other baseball pretty well. Um, but if there's any any listeners out there that want us to talk about a particular team or sport, you know, we'll go for it. Um, if you, you know, want our opinions on some other topic that is non-Michigan-based, <laughs> we're right, happy to yeah. go for that. Just let us know, you know. Yeah, for sure. So. Um, the other thing I think we could have some fun with is, you know, just talking about, uh, you know, like maybe look at different franchises and talk about their their Mount Rushmore, you know, yes, kind yes. of like who would be there for or whatever. Or and it doesn't have to always be sports. It could be, you know, some entertainment thing, too. Um, yes. So that could be kind of fun, too. Uh, down the line. Um, just, you know, good conversational sort of thing. Um, all right. So I think that that was a fun on the spot. We're always looking for listener feedback. And I hope that we maybe dove into a couple things that were um, of interest there. Um, and if not, let us know. Right. Um, right. Feel free to uh, give us uh, an email. Um, and of course, all this stuff is in the show notes and stuff, too. But anything like that would be good. You know, email, Twitter, Facebook. Um, we also have an Instagram um, all those things, you know, and we'll kind of mention kind of all that info again later. All right. Um, so right after this, we'll come back and talk just a little bit, uh, uh, APA, I think is kind of what our next kind of topic will be. 
All right. Well, welcome back. And uh, just a little bit of APA talk. Um, just this week, we, one of our uh, good friends from um, when both Kevin and I were younger, uh, Derek, um, celebrated another birthday. And uh, Derek is, um, we've mentioned him before, he introduced Kevin and I to APA baseball when we were uh, kids. Um, he had, he, you know, was older than us, but had, um, you know, uh, you know, a season, the 1974 season, I think it was, right, Kev? Yep, that was right. And um, we were probably 11 when yes, we first... Nice. I, yep, we were 11. I think it was 1983. Um, yep. And, and Derek was our um, little league coach for baseball. That's how we kind of came in contact with him. He was coach of our team and, and kind of a big brother kind of figure, I guess you might say, mm-hmm. um, at the time. And uh, yeah. He so recognized that, us as psychotic baseball fans. And, yes. And I think just thought these two, these twins would maybe really like this game. So. We thought what might be interesting, and this could be a topic that other people might have. I mean, there's a lot of adults now that we seem to interact with related to APA. But whenever you're at one of these tournaments and stuff, there's always some kids that are playing too. And, you know, there might be people that got into APA just in their youth all by themselves. But there's a number of people that have the experience of having it as a youthful experience, maybe introduced by an adult or not an adult, but, you know, somebody a little bit older than them. And then... Uh, coming back to it as as yeah. an adult and just kind of what is that you know what what is your you know experience like that so like you and I did a lot of that you know kind of you know up through high school we you know we did some of our own leagues and stuff like that kind of you know in you know stuff between the three of us with leagues and that was fun you know that's when we did stats but we had to do a lot of that manually because we're talking kind of late 80s you know mid to late 80s um, magic numbers, you know, that sort of stuff, uh, studying for drafts and really analyzing cards. And, you know, all of those things that I think APA people have experience with, with just the numbers and just knowing certain things on boards and stuff like that, um, becomes like almost another language, you know, yes. it's, it's, it's interesting and in how you could look at a card. And that's why you can have a great, you know, blog post, you know, like monster card Mondays and stuff like that. And people can look at a card and go, that's a really good card. Or look at some crappy card and go, oh, geez, that's a joke, you know, because of uh, just kind of that experience that you have. And learning it as a kid is a great way to learn about players. I mean, I learned a lot about people from the 1974 season and people that, you know, whether it's Manny Sanguian or somebody like that, right, or Ken Holtzman or something, you're just kind of random people. Um, that or was something. Gene Tennis. Or Gene Tennis, yes. <laughs> yes. And. Um, those sorts of experiences, and then that could launch into that. Now, by the time we got to college and later on in our early uh, you know, careers, kind of wasn't doing anything with Apple, but it was still going on. And then you come back to it, and you've kind of gotten more than I have into that thing. But, I mean, what has been your, you know, like your thoughts on or takes on kind of your early stuff and then the coming back? Well, early on, of course... Um... You know, it was a great way to learn about the history of the game. Um, you know, because we, we did things with the 1966 season. We bought that. We did stuff with the 1922 season. So, yeah, you you, you know the Babe Ruth's or you know the Mickey Mantles or you know the um, Willie Mazes, but you learn the, the Jim Lefebvre, you know, right. and that he was a good player, you know. Or that's when I first was introduced to somebody like Joe Torrey. You know, like, oh, mm-hmm. well, Joe Torrey was a heck of a player back in the day, you know. Right. Those kind of things. 
Um, and like you say, you know, it's like coming back to a good book or a good movie that you liked when you were a kid, you know, and it just kind of has that same, I mean, apple cards have a certain smell to them. They have a certain feel and texture to them. And when you look at them, it's like looking at a different, it's like speaking a different language. And it's more so than some other games. You know, I never really played Stratomatic. I had, I bought like a starter one one time and tried to play it and it just wasn't, Man, it just wasn't yeah. the same thing. I mean, you know? people like that. That's great, you know. But yeah, you know, a lot of people do. I mean, I'm not trying to put the game down, but you know, Appa, man, you look at it and the card just stands out what it is. You know exactly if the guy's a power hitter. You know exactly if he's a good fielder. You know mm -hmm. just exactly what it is just by looking at it after you play a little bit. It doesn't take very long to to learn that. You know, I don't know. You can probably in in five or ten games you start learning that. You know, right? Well, I think it like long before we ever made our first childhood visit to the hall of fame we had played a lot of appa with some of the greatest players mm -hmm. that we also had and would integrate so you know th that's how you learn who george sisler was or mm -hmm. nap lajoy or some of these guys it might be a little bit more obscure um you learn by playing with uh ted williams you know card the type of hitter he was that he yes, walked a lot had, yes um it, you know just kind of the you know like if a guy were still a lot of bases if a guy you know what type of fielder they were considered based on the numbers of their fielding and all those sorts of things um you know if they were strikeout pitcher the types of letter grades that they have all those things made you actually learn more about the player and and what they were like so that especially when you have an experience at like a hall of fame or something you're looking at their plaque um you already kind of know what you're looking see, at when I see old-time players, when I think of Ted Williams or Babe Ruth, I think of their Apple card. I, I know. That comes into my mind. Now, um, I'm sure for you, maybe not as much with modern players because you aren't in a league or anything like that right now. I mean, I show you things at times. But, um, you, know, there's, you know, there's some of that as well, you know, for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, I still think about, even though I don't play in a, a serious league like you do, I still, I think, because of my childhood experiences, view the stats that I see in APA card terms. Yes. Um, and or like, I, how is a guy a fielder? Oh, that you know, mm -hmm. is that guy what kind? It, you know, because like Lou Whitaker, when I think of Lou, I think of second baseman nine, the highest rating you can get for a second yep. baseman. Mm -hmm. Okay, and yep. that's in my mind. You know, uh, right? That's and normally kind of has an was. F. You know, he's normally yes. fast. Um, yes. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, so it does kind of, um, you know, it, it, uh, molds you and it molds your baseball experience both within the game and outside of it. So who can we thank for that? Well, you know, to kind of wrap up this little section here that we're doing, uh, we can thank Derek, um, because he introduced us to that. Um, and we were, you know, obviously impressionable guys, but he, um, you know, opened up that world to us that we still appreciate yes um, just such a deeper texture to the game because of that over the last 36 years or so that we've had that for sure so yes I'm definitely thankful for that so i i guess i would just end with well thanks a lot thanks derek that we we definitely uh consider that all the time and if you're not using that 1966 set we'd really like to have that because i think he has it um, yes. so <laughs> just kidding. Around. Or we could start a league or something. Yeah, that's true. Okay. We could do something. <laughs> All right. So we'll be right back. All 
All right. Well, welcome back. Um, we like to thank everyone again for listening. Um, hopefully, if you like what you're hearing, you tell a few people to check us out, and we'd appreciate any feedback that you have. Uh, don't forget that our email is uh, doubletakefeedback at gmail.com, and then everything else is doubletakecast, uh, doubletakecast, at doubletakecast for Twitter, um, Facebook, and for Instagram. Um you know, in our last episode, we were talking about the veterans ballot that came out and Marvin Miller, how he was on the ballot. And I think I mentioned um, we were discussing Miller and I kind of implied there weren't any books about him. And I said something like I've been looking for a definitive book or something like that. And I, I was looking a little bit more and I did run across two that I do want to okay. check out. Um, one of them was Miller's own book, a whole new a whole different ball game. The Inside Story of okay. the Baseball Revolution. Um, that sounds and it, interesting. Yeah, and it, it's his account of the, you know, after leaving the Steelworkers Union, becoming the first executive of the MLBPA in 1966. And um, unfortunately, I don't find, I love listening to audiobooks on my commute, um, which I guess anybody who's listening to a podcast might, you know, understand that, you know, we like to do that. It's just a good, efficient way of doing things. It's not on audio right now, so I'd actually have to read it you know, like, oh you know, look goodness. at it. Yeah. So I might have to do, do that. that. So I'll probably get it from my library. I love my library. Um, and then the I didn't second, even know he was a steel work steel union guy. Oh yeah. I he was huge with that, with all the, um, he did all the economic stuff for them and was, that's how he learned all that stuff. So he, I mean, okay. that's why he was so good. And then the second lot about book <laughs> that I know is available, I think it might be exclusive on audible is uh, called Baseball's Power Shift, How Baseball Player Unions, the Fans, and the Media Changed American Sport Culture by, um, it's his name is Krister Swanson, and it came out like in 2016. Mm. Um, and Swanson focuses on the turbulent years from 66 to 81, you know, yeah. what saw the birth of the, the player union and the three strikes and the two couple lockouts, Kurt Flood's challenge of the reserve clause in the Supreme Court, um, and the emergence of all the free agency. So, like, you know, that is an interesting kind of thing where Miller, of course, plays prominently in that. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you know, I mean, Miller is important. I mean, he revolutionized the relationship between the players and the owners and forever changed the game. And even and if you look at any stage for a lot of the other professional sports and yes. the way they handle things, for sure. Yep. They definitely um, to And there's like quotes, like even on his book, where it's like, you know, Reggie Jackson saying nothing would be the same without Marvin Miller. You know, it's just like almost every guy says something like mm -hmm. we wouldn't be here where we are without Marvin Miller. You know, so um, I will make sure to include kind of links and like the Amazon stuff in the show show notes uh, to those books if anybody's interested. But I'm, you know, I'm going to explore them. Um, I probably will check out Baseball's Power Shift soon um, just because I'm curious. But yes. um, that's kind of where I'm at. So that's kind of just one thing I just wanted to kind of kind of throw out there before I forgot about it. Um, and other than that, um, that's kind of – you know, I'm excited in only a few more weeks, and we hopefully will start seeing who might be getting into the hall. Yes. Um, well, we know and, one person, Derek Jeter. Yes. So, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he'll be going in, yeah. yeah. So, um, so um, any final comments or, you know, things for you? Uh, no, I think that uh, another good show here, and, um, you know, anybody wants to give us some feedback, just send it that way. We, we like that, and it helps us move the show in different directions for sure. So, right. Yep. We are listening. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll do the best we can with that. 
so again, thank you for listening to Double Take. And until uh, our next episode, which it should be in about a week, um, take care and, uh, and give us some feedback. Thank you. Double Take is recorded using Audacity and CleanFeed. We use Fifine USB microphones and distribute through Anchor.fm. Theme music, Funk in the Trunk, is by Shane Ivers at SilvermanSound.com. Please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at DoubleTakeCast, or email us at DoubleTakeFeedback at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.